This City Wire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, my name is John Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. In this episode, I spoke with Majedi's Tom Morris about the metaverse and how the fund manager is investing in the new wave of the internet. We also speak about how luxury brands like Gucci are rolling out virtual products in these new digital spaces. There's been a lot of noise around the metaverse, but could you explain sort of exactly what it is and why investors should really be taking notice of it? For me, you know, the metaverse is the internet as a place. So it's a recognition by people that finally the internet is actually somewhere that you go. It's not just on a screen. It's somewhere that you can go to mentally and perhaps in the future somewhere you can go to physically where you live, you work, you socialize, you meet other people, you have fun, where basically all the normal parts of your life that used to be physical only, real world only, can suddenly be virtual world as well. Okay. And is there a real demand for this from consumers or is it a bit of hype that's drummed up by the tech industry? Uh, Well, I think there's enormous demand already, and I would argue that the metaverse already exists. You know, there are hundreds of millions of people every day logging into social video games, um, logging into messaging apps, logging into Microsoft Teams, conducting business meetings, conducting online dating, um, just generally chatting with their friends, um, doing all these things in virtual spaces. And, you know, I think that kind of is the metaverse. It's just that we thought of a snazzier kind of marketing term for it now. So I guess there probably is a bit of hype. You know, it's in the interest of a lot of companies to big this up. But I think in reality, it's been here for a while. And all we're really seeing is that people are giving it a name and they're starting to connect the dots. Okay, so it's, it's not necessarily anything completely new. It's more of a progression of the internet. It's sort of where we're, where we're already going. As you, as you mentioned, we're already using Teams and we're already using sort of video, video conferencing. And perhaps kind of going to that next stage, this sort of image we've had of, you know, people kind of putting on a headset and entering into a, into a meeting you know, on the metaverse and actually interacting completely virtually that way. How how far off are we from that? I think we're pretty close. Um, You know, I'm talking from my experience for the last two years, the majority of my interactions with people have been over various video conferencing services, some of which are better than others. And it doesn't seem like a big leap to me to go from video conferencing to avatar conferencing, you know, rather than just having a grid of people's um, you know, faces on a screen, you know, why not have a 3D space, a bit like a specialist video game where we could be in a virtual office or we could be looking at a representation of a product or we could be, you know, even something as exotic as, you know, medical procedures. You know, these things can take place remotely now uh, in part because we have technology that can display things in a sort of realistic way virtually. And it doesn't have to be a headset over your over your eyes that, to be honest, these days, they're, they're not great still. You know, they're, they're bulky, they're difficult to use, people get seasick, um, the resolution isn't great, um, you feel a bit silly with them on. I'm not suggesting that we're suddenly all going to be putting um, you know, Oculus Rifts over our eyes, but eventually, I think, those sorts of devices are going to be much more commonplace, significantly sleeker. I think if you just look back on 
listen, evolution of smartphones, it gives you a good guide. You know, 15 years ago, um, let me see what that would be, in 2007, that was basically the introduction of the iPhone. So 16 years ago, no iPhone. Um, you know, it was the dark ages, really, for, for mobile uh, phones. And then today, we've got pretty much anything you can imagine uh, in incredibly sleek, incredibly futuristic devices. We're kind of in the dark ages still for uh, headsets and virtual reality. But in 15 years' time, things could be very different indeed. Obviously, Facebook slash Meta's had a, a massive push towards the metaverse. And, and are they going to be the, the dominant force in this area? Well, um, I would hesitate to make any kind of prediction about who will be dominant because it is, it's, uh, it's an area which is going to see enormous changes, a lot of which will be highly unpredictable over the next decade. And I mean, if you, if you think back to the, the dawn of the web, a lot of the biggest successes on the web were companies that did not even exist beforehand, you know, like Facebook and Google and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, sitting on your desk in, you know, 1988, um, you know, you might have said to yourself, oh, I'm sure the big winners are going to be, you know, IBM and Sun Microsystems or something, and you would have you, <laughs> you would have been very wrong. Um, so I think Facebook and, you know, Meta, as it's now called, is in a very interesting position. It's got some absolutely brilliant assets that set it up very well, gives it an excellent chance of being a big success in the metaverse, but that does not necessarily mean that it will dominate. You know, having WhatsApp or uh, communications and commerce, having Facebook itself, which of course is a, uh, a depository of people's real identities, which is very useful. Um, you know, they, they've got the Oculus business, obviously, for the headsets, which will one day be uh, slicker and more appealing than they are today. You know, these are all pretty things to have, um, but they don't guarantee success. And you know, there are so many other interesting companies in this space as well. I think changing your name to Meta is a good way of grabbing attention, but it, you know, it, it, there's a lot more to the metaverse than Meta. Well, on that basis, with it being a struggle to see who's going to be sort of the leading companies in this space now. How do you approach it as an investor? Um, I guess I just, you know, I look at what, I look at the bits, the seeds of the metaverse that already exist. You know, um, there's um, one of my favorite quotes is about, you know, that the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. And so you can normally find places um, that give you an interesting view onto what the future might be more generally in five or ten years' time. And I think, you know, gaming is, is one of those. And so the sort of video game developers, many of which are listed still, like Take-Two and EA and Nintendo and Roblox and Tencent and Microsoft increasingly with the number of studios they've been purchasing, and Sony, I guess, as well, to give them some credit. You know, these are businesses that are already building, they are literally building their own metaverses. Uh, and if you're Microsoft, you're, you've also got all your enterprise stuff, you've got Teams, you've got uh, identity via email, you've got commerce. Um, you know, these are businesses, I think, that have also got a lot going for them over the next decade in, uh, you know, in this sort of arena. Yeah, I, gaming was probably the, the first innovator in the metaverse, probably had the start of the metaverse probably a decade ago with gaming, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. And I think it's that, you know, people have gradually come to realize that gaming isn't necessarily about playing a game. You know, gaming is about socializing. You know, but people spend most of their time on Fortnite chatting to each other and making fun of each other and hanging out or, or even these days watching a concert, whether it's, um, you know, Marshmallow or Ariana Grande or whatever it happens to be. You know, it's not just about running around completing a quest or, you know, planting a helicopter. You know, it, it, it's as much a place just to spend time like a, like a shopping centre used to be 10 years ago or a park or something like that. And as an investor, which sectors are you, do you think are going to benefit from this the most? Uh, well, you, you know, like we said, we've got the, you've got the sort of listed video game companies. Um, you've got character IP owners. You know, we haven't mentioned those, but, 
you know, the metaverse is an intellectual property opportunity. You know, it's a place where everything is virtual. And so your virtual IP can be monetized in new and interesting ways. So if you happen to own a lot of very interesting IP, you know, if you're Disney or if you're Hasbro or if you're a luxury brand, then you know, it could also be a very interesting area for you, not least because um, products in the metaverse have no cost of goods sold. You know, they are just bits of code that can be replicated costlessly. So, you know, I know that people spend a lot of money on, you know, Gucci handbags and the actual cost of making the handbag is quite a small part of the price. But the cost of a virtual handbag is zero. Is there a demand for that, though? Why would anyone want a virtual handbag? Well, I, I think it, I, I think absolutely there is, to be honest. And, you know, if you look at Fortnite, Fortnite makes pretty much all of its money selling virtual clothes. You know, you could argue Fortnite is one of the largest clothing retailers in the world. It just happens that none of it is made of cotton. Yeah, it all just appears on the screen. People buy silly outfits and silly accessories because they enjoy it's showing off. It is or slightly a different or, because it's it's part of a game, isn't it? It's an it's a an add-on that you're buying within a game. Whereas if you're purely buying a, a digital handbag with no other function, it it seems slightly odd. Well, well, I mean, the, the clones in Fortnite don't have a function. You know, people can't pay to win. They're not, they're not buying, a, you know, they're not buying a mega weapon because like, games have tried doing that, you know, selling people ultra powerful items. And gamers don't like it, you know, because it just means you can purchase victory, which is kind of boring for everybody else. You just end up with a lot of rich people blowing everybody else up. And so increasingly, gamers, uh, so game companies are selling 100% cosmetic things. Stuff that doesn't actually affect whether you win or lose. It's just fun to have, which is, which is, you know, in my mind, quite similar to a handbag, really. You know, so um, I think there's there's room for it, and you can see the brands really getting in there too. Like, you know, Gucci, they've uh, got collaboration with North Face, the kind of outdoor wear brand. They actually launched that inside Pokemon Go uh, about a year ago, uh, and it, it was so successful they did a second collection with them as well. So you can buy the physical clothes, and you can have the virtual clothes inside the Pokemon game. Uh, that Gucci's also got a virtual space in Roblox. Louis Vuitton did a collection where uh, they sold virtual outfits for your avatar to wear in League of Legends, which is a you know a, a big popular game, uh, and also physical versions of those items to wear in the real world. Balenciaga sells outfits in Fortnite. You know Burberry sells outfits inside Honor of Kings, which is one of the biggest games in China. You know the the, the brand strength of these companies can really be brought to bear in a virtual space. And what kind of revenue were we talking for these? luxury brands selling within computer games? Well, at the moment, we don't know because they don't break it out. But we can say, we can, we can say that the revenue generated by these virtual, uh, by, by these games like Fortnite is on the order of many billions of dollars a year. And, um, you know, I think it seems, it seems at least to me conceivable that luxury brands should be able to take a reasonable share of that, much like they take a reasonable share of um, you know, discretionary clothing spend in the in the real world. Yeah, I just I just don't see the difference really between the real world and the virtual world in this respect. You know, someone who likes to have a you know their their Prada doctor bag when they go out on the town uh, in London may well like to have their Prada virtual doctor bag when they go out on the town watching a concert in Fortnite. But uh, when Prada or, or Gucci puts um, you know one of their handbags on a computer game, do they have to? pay the developer or are they actually getting any money from this or is it just to promote their brand further an excellent question yeah and now again it is unclear because nobody really discloses how these partnerships work but i would imagine that there is a revenue sharing arrangement you know in much the same way that um 
uh, you know, people who operate app stores, they tend to take, you know, 30% or whatever it is of uh, the value of the transaction that take place on those stores. I wouldn't be at all surprised if if one day we find out that, um, you know, Fortnite is taking, you know, a certain percentage and then the brand owner is taking a certain percentage of branded things sold within their, you know, metaverse. Um, I, I think as it becomes more significant, there'll be more pressure from investors to disclose how this sort of thing is operating. And I think that'll be a really interesting day. Looking at communication, obviously, that's been sort of getting a lot of attention with, you know, the likes of Meta and Microsoft and Google getting involved. I mean, what are what are the likes of, of Microsoft doing um, in the metaverse at the moment that you think is really interesting? Um, well, I mean, I would view Teams as their most important product, really, at Microsoft. You know, Teams Teams is the is the core of work these days, and most of my work at least sort of hangs around it. You know, Teams integrates email, it integrates video communication, it integrates text communication, link sharing, identity, login and log out of services, all these sorts of things which are very important. And if I'm Microsoft, I'd be trying to take that core and use it as the way to get businesses to, um, to, to, to conduct more of their activity in a virtual environment. So you're using your same team's login to enter a virtual office or to invite your clients to a virtual conference um, or to display your wares in a virtual shop of some kind. So that, you know, I think that's very interesting there. And then they've also got some hardware stuff too. You know, they've got HoloLens, which is their version of um, Facebook's Oculus, you know, a kind of headset thing, which I think actually has got some industrial traction. You know, it's used by people for, um, um, in some cases, for constructing complex machinery. I think I read about, uh, you know, big engineering firms using it to help people, you know, locate faults on machines. It can overlay information with people working, that sort of thing. So there is a hardware aspect to it, but primarily, you know, this is a software opportunity, I think. Microsoft's really a software company and it's hard. Uh, and I suspect something like Teams will be their, um, their big hope. And could Facebook sort of get in on the business communications aspect of the metaverse? Obviously, we, we see it as a pure play kind of um, individual social media uh, business really, but but Teams and and Google kind of dominate in the in the business communications. Could Facebook get in there? Um, um, yeah, an interesting, a very interesting question. I mean, Facebook's been trying to get into enterprise for a long time, but I think it is very difficult to have a brand that spans casual consumer interactions and enterprise interactions. You know, it's why Microsoft doesn't really have. Um, you know, a consumer social network or a consumer comms business. I mean, obviously, people can use Teams for fun. You can use a Microsoft email address to chat to people, but in practice, people don't really do that. They basically chat on WhatsApp or Messenger or Signal or something like that, and then they keep their work life separate. People don't really like the idea of their work and home lives blurring into each other. It's a bit stressful to imagine that happening, I think, for a lot of people. And so, I think they've, they've found a kind of happy equilibrium where, you know, Facebook takes care of your social life via its various apps. Microsoft takes care of your work life. And there's a little bit of interaction between them. So, you know, clearly a lot of Facebook's revenue is, you know, D to C commerce enablement. So, um, you know, within um, Instagram, I can be, dis- it can show me something that it thinks I might like. Maybe I've been on holiday recently. It's going to show me, um, I don't know, something related to that. Maybe there's a sports trip and they're going to show me some sports equipment. And if I can click on it inside Instagram and then purchase it from that uh, retailer, then obviously Facebook can take a card, it can track the purchase, it can advertise based on it, it can provide it with payment information, all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's a, it's a kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, it's a bit of a truce, I'd say, between them. 
As a fund manager, which metaverse beneficiaries are you most bullish on? Uh, for me, the video game companies. Um, you know, we own a number of those and, and have done really for quite some time. Uh, you know, within some of the funds I work on, you know, we have some luxury brands. Uh, you know, we have some of the, the giant current tech companies, you know, like Microsoft, who uh, are going to provide, I would imagine, some of the cloud horsepower that's really going to make the metaverse work, uh, alongside, of course, all the ID stuff we've just discussed. Um, you know, we've got some, uh, you know, emerging markets plays on it. Um, we've got um, we've got some of the IP owners like uh, like Hasbro, you know, which is a kind of toy and collectibles company. You know, collectibles is something which is going to be very interesting in the virtual space. Um, you know, you're seeing that begin to emerge with NFTs, which obviously are, are widely abused um, uh, new piece of tech, which a lot of people are just trying to get rich quickly from. But I think in the long term, NFTs perhaps do have a role to play in ensuring digital scarcity, which is what collectability is all about. Um, so you know, these are the sorts of things that we're thinking about. And of course, we're keeping a keen eye on new companies. Because like I said earlier, some of the biggest winners from this probably don't even exist yet. And it's our job to try and identify them as early as we can. And when you're identifying these future winners, what exactly are you looking for? What kind of um, will, will make you put one of these companies in your fund? Um, well, for me personally, you know, I'm looking for companies that maybe aren't understood very well. So I'm looking for companies that maybe people regard as being uncool or unfashionable or there's something wrong with them. Uh, maybe they're very inexpensive, they're trading on a big discount because of those things. But where we can see that in the medium to long term, there's a reason why they really could succeed. And if you go back, you know, five years, video companies were in that bucket. People didn't like them. They were considered to be hit and miss businesses that had, you know, massive profitable years and then big loss years. You didn't know whether they were going to uh, come out with another success in the future. So they were very unpredictable and volatile and they were given a low valuation by the market who just thought they were, you know, too much hassle, basically. And what we've seen gradually is people's, is both the business transition and people's views on that sector transition to, to realize or begin to realize they're actually much, much higher quality, more interesting businesses than they thought, you know, where you have... Um, something akin to subscription revenue, permanent online worlds, really high quality IP that can be monetized easily, and actually some of the most popular characters and brands in the whole entertainment space. You know, the most successful entertainment product of all time across any genre uh, is Grand Theft Auto V. You know, it's, it, it's, it's the biggest thing in entertainment in the entire world, but people don't talk about it like they talk about Star Wars because it, um, I guess it's, it's, it's too new. Um, it takes time to seep into popular culture. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining me today. No, of course. Um, no, it was an absolute delight. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.